Today is Wednesday, April 12, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. The FBI spied on American churches. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and share it with your friends. You can email us as well, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me to get through the news of the cray as we do each and every weekday at 7 a.m. here on the Quick Start Podcast, Trey Gomez Phillips. What's up, Trey? Happy hump day. How you doing? I know. I'm good. I'm good. It's Wednesday already. And you know, <laughs> the big the big news of the week that precisely no one will care about <laughs> is that our blue check marks will be going away. I know. On 420, supposedly. Yeah. Some but, people care about it more than others. Uh, you don't care. I don't care. I just don't care that it's... I mean, I have one of these blue check marks, which I have just because I was in the media, and they tried to give it to media people back in the day. Apparently, well, he just wants you to pay. So For all three people who care, <laughs> I'm, I'm very sorry. Yes. I won't be sad to see it go. Nevertheless, we uh, we have a lot to get to on the pod. Trey, uh, you've got a, an update on China's latest crackdown on Christians, which is disturbing. Yeah, so they're, they're strong-arming the Catholic Church now, which they've been doing this for, for years, not just with Christians and even with Muslims, but also with Catholics. And this is just another bold move by the CCP, so we'll get into that. Yeah, looking forward to the details there. Mercy me um, on the main thing. We're going to be talking about them as uh, we're going to dive into what it's like to work in the Christian music industry. I, I think people... You know, you don't really get a sense of that. It's kind of a weird thing because you want to get out there, but it's also, you know, for the bigger picture of of the faith message. So we'll dive into that on the main thing. But first, we're going to get through the news here uh, in 90 seconds. And the NYPD is rolling out several crime-fighting robots. They're calling them snitch bots. Not sure if the NYPD came up with that name or if, People who live in New York are calling that, but they're going to patrol Times Square and city subways. Mayor Adams said, we can't be afraid of technology if we're not willing to move forward and use technology. And we'll not keep up with those who are doing harmful things to hurt New York. And could rationing of resources of the Colorado River be happening soon? As the river shrinks, the Biden administration is getting ready to impose for the first time reductions in water supplies to states. This would be a challenge to longstanding legal precedent, which currently now bases how they distribute it on seniority rights, which would leave California getting most of it. Uh, But some are saying that politics are playing a role here as if Biden distributed it evenly, Arizona and Nevada would benefit. Both are swing states in 2024. And Congress has placed FBI Director Christopher Wray in the spotlight over a memo that revealed the FBI targeted traditionalist Catholics, asking church leaders to help monitor members and report them to the government. And Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan said this information is outrageous and only reinforces the committee's need for all FBI material responsive to our request. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. Trey, this FBI story here, it's the latest in a series of concerning things we've seen from the FBI, namely the raiding of pro-lifers at home that was completely unnecessary, a case that eventually got just thrown out of court uh, quickly. Jury decided in all, you know less than an hour that this was totally not a case that was even close to anything that should be charged with a crime. And... 
Now we have information that they've been sending these informants into churches. It's it's concerning. Well, yeah, look, I think ever since 2020, it seems like um, government officials have been more, uh, I guess, willing to, to kind of cross lines that they wouldn't have before uh, because they saw that people, I think, were willing to listen. They were willing to do whatever the government told them to do. Like I know we covered a lot about California at first yeah. in 2020 when everything first started cracking down, like limiting how many people can be in church. If you're going to have anybody playing an instrument, you can only have one person <laughs> yeah. playing an instrument or you know, some weird, some weird rules like that. So like, I think since COVID governments have been more apt to, to do things that are certainly infringing. Um, but also I, these kind of stories just raise more concerns about, these establishment, these or establishments and these institutions, are they just political arms? Right? Yeah. Because people are have been concerned about that since 2020 or earlier than that, since 2016, I guess, when Trump uh, was elected is when he first started talking about it a lot. So yeah, this doesn't do much to quell any of those concerns that this is anything more than a political institution. Yeah. And, and you have people already with all-time lows in trust in some of these institutions, right. government institutions. Going back to the Obama administration when it was known that he was using the uh, the um, uh, the IRS to target Christian organizations and nonprofits and to, to find out information about them to sort of harass them into you know potentially losing their nonprofit status, things of that nature. And so so this is not going to be the first time in history that politicians have used some of these institutions for political reasons. It just seems like it's ramping up so much now. And to hear, I've never heard of pl FBI plants showing up into churches to try to monitor them. That's you know, between that and the raiding of pro-lifer at his home with a heavy handed raid with dozens of agents all fully geared up and ready to go when he said he would come in. These sorts of things are extremely concerning. Just the fact that they're comfortable to do this, either they don't care or they're finding ways that they know they can get away with it and just explain it away if they get caught. It's just not a trend and not a direction that a freedom-loving country should be comfortable going down. Well, it makes me think of the this irony. I remember several years ago, obviously after 9-11 is when we started having the TSA and all of this great mm -hmm. security. Uh, these and great homeland security. security. Yeah, and all of that, uh, that, that at airports and elsewhere. And for years now, we've had this controversy over profiling. Like, well, should we be profiling anybody? Because if we're profiling somebody, we might be xenophobic or we could be racist or yeah. we could be discriminating in some way. So then they started doing the TSA, starting these randomized screenings. Or we'll just pull a random person and we'll screen them separately. But we're not going to be doing anything based on their appearance or their beliefs or anything we know about them. Uh, but then we have the FBI going into churches and they're sending informants into Catholic churches specifically. How does this not fall into that category of we're profiling people and based right. on their views on things and what they look like? And, but when it comes to Christians, it seems like the rules are always different. Right. You, you, it's not a problem. Right. If you went into a mosque, I guarantee you, they, oh, yeah. the, the people. CNN would be all over Oh, this. they'd be upset about it. <laughs> hey, they're sending FBI. Trump's FBI. I mean, just imagine this story if the shoe's on the other foot. If Trump's FBI sent FBI right. plants into mosques. That that wouldn't go over exactly well in the media. They'd no, be they'd no. be freaking out about that. So yeah, it's 
it's something we're going to keep reporting on. We're going to keep watching out for because this is, again, it's very concerning when the government feels comfortable engaging in these sorts of activities. So, all right, we're going to head to our next story here. Speaking of governments that are very comfortable in <laughs> spying on their citizens, the Chinese government, communist government, <laughs> they've been very heavy handed with religions, including the Christian religion and now they have appointed a new bishop over Shanghai. What? Why is that concerning here in this case, Trey? Yeah, so it's concerning because the Chinese Communist Party made the unilateral decision to appoint a new Catholic bishop in Shanghai, which is the largest diocese in the country, without even informing the Vatican that the vote and decision had even happened until a couple weeks after the fact. And then they sent a letter over to the Holy See uh, in the, the Vatican uh, in Rome, and said, oh, just by the way, we want to let you know, uh, we've appointed a, a new bishop uh, to be over the, the Shanghai diocese. And of course, that bishop uh, is Shen Ben is his name, uh, and he's completely sold out for the CCP, right? So he's, right. A, he's a plant for the Communist Party. He's pledged allegiance to the Communist Party. Uh, so the, the concern from the Vatican and then from Christians generally is, one, this wasn't a free choice, right? This wasn't somebody who was appointed uh, freely, as is the agreement, actually, that the Vatican and China had reached several years ago. Uh, and uh, not only was it not free, but also they're in they're in the bag for the Communist Party. So how can we trust anything that's going to come from this bishop uh, to be actually in adherence with Scripture when really his allegiance is not to his faith, his allegiance is to the CCP? Right, and we know that the CCP, if they created their, they're working on, if not have already created, their own version of the Bible. <laughs> so uh, you would you know expect you know, a bishop in that situation to potentially be pushing things like that on this congregation. So what is the agreement that they have now between the Vatican and the CCP? Yeah, well, that was part of what made uh, the Vatican so angry. As I said, this was a unilateral decision, uh, and it was made by the Council of Chinese Bishops, which is a body, interestingly, that the Vatican does not recognize as legitimate. Uh, so there, there are those couple shots against this decision already. But in 2018, and then it was subsequently renewed in 2020 and at the end of last year, uh, the Vatican reached a controversial agreement with the, the, the Chinese Communist Party. And the agreement allows the Chinese government to submit candidates for bishop offices, but then it allegedly leaves the final decision up to the Pope. Uh, so there still is some control there that the, that the Vatican has. Uh, but China has, for the last several years, really since the agreement was reached, has kind of pushed back against it, has not been happy with it, has voiced their frustrations with this agreement, even though they agreed to it. Uh, but now they're just kind of ignoring it altogether. They're mm. just doing whatever they want to uh, by, like I said, appointing somebody kind of in the cover of night and then telling the Pope and the Vatican, oh, by the way, we installed this new guy who's actually going to be uh, loyal to us rather than to you. Mm. What's the uh, history there between... China and how they handle different Christian communities. Well, I mean, you mentioned one huge one uh, just a couple minutes ago, which is the fact that they're literally rewriting the Bible yeah. uh, so that it falls in line with 
the Chinese Communist Party uh, rather than uh, the gospel, uh, of, obviously, of Jesus Christ. Uh, so this is a 10-year, I believe it's a 10-year process. Uh, it was began in 2019. Uh, Todd Nettleton, we've actually, he's the, the spokesperson for the Voice of the Martyrs. We've talked to him several times, but he spoke to us last year specifically about this. Uh, he said the intention is to, quote, release a new translation of the Bible that would really support the Communist Party. He said, in one sense, it's just so arrogant to think, I'm going to rewrite the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But then you think about denying the deity of Christ. If Jesus is a sinner, uh, then he's not God. He said the issue for the Chinese Communist Party is control. It's always about control. And they see the Christian message as something that they would uh, that would take away control from the Communist Party. So in addition to that, though, they're destroying and burning churches. They've been doing that for years. Uh, any church that isn't completely in line with the Chinese Communist Party and isn't uh, allowing the CCP to control them, uh, the government is making up these trumped-up charges and then going in and destroying or disbanding these churches. And then, of course, as many outlets have covered, uh, CBN included, uh, they're abusing minority Muslims by putting these Uyghurs in, in concentration camps, really for no other reason than the fact that they are Muslim and, and they're not adherents uh, to everything that the CCP teaches. Yeah, really disturbing stuff. And honestly, given the story we just went through about the FBI putting plants into American Catholic churches, it's it's kind of sad that the Chinese, who we should be praying for Christians there really yeah. often because they're going through some really elevated stuff. And uh, we've talked to some missionaries from there who have showed up to Bible studies and you have Christians there in China who are memorizing long portions of the Bible, maybe even whole books of the Bible because they're just afraid they're not going to access, they don't have access to it. And pretty soon you're only going to have that Chinese version of the Bible, the, the state government version of it. And so very, very disturbing stuff that we need to be praying for. And we also need to be praying that our government doesn't start going down these same roads because What may seem unthinkable now in 20, 30, 40 years, if you keep allowing them to to give them an inch, to give them an inch. Now, remember, we have the Southern Poverty Law Center, places like that, that then summon the government who are not friendly to Christianity, turn around and say, you know, they're calling Christians, the Southern Poverty Law Center, groups like that, call Christians hate, right? We're seeing this this dynamic brewing where the LGBT movement and the Christian movement, you have one side calling it hate to disagree. Just give it time. Give that 10, 20 years of this is a hate group. I mean, that's how they're going to justify things like what you're seeing in China. Eventually, if we don't stand up for the constitutional rights that we have and the freedoms that we have in the constitution, that's why it's important to stand up to it. It's, Look back 10 years from now or, or 10 years ago and the things that are happening now you would think are unthinkable. It's it's kind of concerning to think about what could be the next 10 years, what those could hold as well. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of it. We had Johnny Moore on a couple uh, a couple weeks ago. We were talking. He works with religious liberty issues and religious persecution, particularly in the Middle East and, and other countries around the world and Asia uh, and, and in parts of Africa too. And he said that one of the... the things that he hears most often. One, he made clear he doesn't want to compare the discrimination and the issues that Christians face here in the U.S. to the violent persecution they're facing in other countries, which is a good point. But he also said that he's heard from people who are facing really, really horrific persecution 
that, hey, it didn't start like this. It started like the things that you're seeing in the U.S. It started with uh, the FBI going in. It started with these, you know, government-related or government-connected agencies uh, starting to discriminate against Christians and sow discord among the culture. And then it brewed and it brewed and it built and it built until it became persecution. So that's not to say that, that it's possible we won't ever get to that point, but it's also important that we're aware of what's going on and that we do what we can to speak up against it and stand up to it when we see it happening. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And um, certainly we're going to continue Reporting on CBN and Faithwire, the things that are going on in China and really any persecution we see and and the early signs of it here in America as well. So appreciate you bringing that story, Trey. We're going to move over to the main thing now. And Mercy Me Manager, you, you may be familiar with the, the band Mercy Me. It's very popular songs, I can only imagine. Well, their manager is Scott Brickle, and he spoke with Trey about what it's like to work in the Christian music industry. This is sort of an angle we don't see most times including when I can only imagine went to the top of the charts and how he's tried to honor God throughout his whole career. That's today's main thing. Scott Brickle, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us. A lot of people will know you uh, as the manager for Mercy Me. Uh, You're played by Trace Atkins, and I can only imagine the movie from a few years ago. Uh, But thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, of course. So, you know, before we, you have a new book, I should say, it's, that, that's coming out uh, called The Business Behind the Song. Uh, but before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in, in the Christian music industry? Was that something you anticipated ever coming along? Uh, actually, it wasn't. I um, I grew up in, in Southeast Missouri and ended up going to Baylor and kind of through all that ended up connecting with uh, a, a Christian artist that was you know, just, uh, traveling around locally around the Missouri area. And I started helping him just for fun and for free. And basically I helped him because his van had air conditioning and my dad's tractors did not. And so had good um, enough reason. there. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, I was working for free either place. So I might as well have a little AC in the, in the mix, but, um, yeah, I just helped him all the way through college and after college, he ended up hiring me and met some people in Nashville through that and his manager and ended up uh, helping out his manager a little bit and then moved to Nashville in 92 and have been here ever since started my own company, uh, 25 years ago and, uh, name, uh, called Brickhouse entertainment. And, uh, we've been managing artists ever since and, uh, having a ball doing it. And we're, we're, uh, we're about to pass 6,000 shows that we've, we've helped artists, um, you know, be able to produce. So, Wow. It's, uh, it's been a, a fun and, and long career and, you know, ended up um, having enough uh, helpful hints to write a book to maybe help out the next generation. You know, I was listening to an interview. I can't remember who the singer was now, but it was, it was a while back. Um, and and she had kind of become what people saw as an overnight success. And mm-hmm. the journalist who was interviewing her asked her about it, and she kind of laughed, and she said, well, it only took 10 years for me to be an overnight success. Uh, so could you maybe tell us a little bit about some of the misconceptions maybe people have about the music industry? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it seems like an overnight success from whenever they first heard about an artist, uh, you know, and they usually hear about it whenever they're climbing the charts, right? So Mercy Me is the same thing. I think they were eight to 10 years um, as, as independent artists. And I, they put out like, I want to say six independent records before they wrote, I can only imagine. And, and you know, things started taking off for them. But yeah, it takes a long time to, you know, 
to create a foundation and really even find out who you are as an artist. Uh, I meet with artists all the time and I put this in the book um, where I'll ask them. One of my first questions I'll ask is how many shows have you done? And, you know, a lot of times it's zero. A lot of times they've never done a show. They've, they've, you know, sung around their parents, you know, they think they're a good singer. You know, people have told them whenever they're riding in the car with them, you should, you know, you should be a singer. And so I just encourage them. I say, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them and I'll have a conversation. But then I say, you need to go out and do at least 125 of something, whether it's lead worship at church or go sing the national anthem at a high school football game or go do a writer's round. You just got to get out there and see if this is really something you want to do and turn it into a career. Or is this going to be a hobby and you just want to lead worship at church, you know, or, you know, put together a cover band to do weddings or wedding receptions or whatever. Like there's a lot of, you know, different avenues for singing without it having to be your full-time career. So um, that's just, I encourage people all the time, you know, really go find out if you, you know, one of, one of the things I say also is if you can do anything else, go do that because it's just too hard to, to make it in this business. And, you know, you get a lot of no's, you get a lot of difficult situations, a lot of early morning flights, a lot of late night, you know, meet and greets with early morning flights the next day, a lot of broke down buses, a lot of broke down vans. You know, it's just, it's just a tough, you know, you're away from home a lot. Um, you know, travel 200 plus days a year. Like it's, it's not easy on your body. It's not easy on you, you know, mentally and physically. And, uh, so I just, you know, I just encourage them to go out and find out if they really want to do it or not. You know, it seems like an in, in, in industry where you have to develop a kind of a, a tough skin uh, and be able to to take a lot of uh, take a lot of comments and criticism. Uh, some of it constructive, and I'm sure a lot of it is probably uh, not always that constructive. But you know, faith I think is another important aspect of this. I don't know how people can work in an industry like this and not have have some sort of faith and, and some sort of trust in a God who's going to piece things together uh, as they need to be. And in the book, you talk specifically about three ways uh, to honor God uh, in, in this kind of career. Uh, I don't know if you can talk maybe a little bit about how you've learned to honor God uh, with the skills that he's given you as, as a manager of artists. Well, the, the, the main thing that I do is... Um... I wake up every morning and just say, God, what am I supposed to do today? And it's, it's uh, something that, I mean, it's something that I practiced since I was in, I, I want to say high school, maybe junior college. Um, but it's just something that, you know, really, I, I don't, you know, if, I, if I've got a flight to catch, I'm not going to like divert from, you know, getting on my flight, but what am I supposed to do today as I'm getting on my flight and where I'm going and, you know, I, I just got to keep God first, um, you know, and, and then other second. And then, you know, then I, then I feel like, you know, I can, I can focus on myself a little bit, but, um, you know, what am I supposed to do today? God, how, you know, lead me and, 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 and open my heart to the people that I'm supposed to talk to, or that are supposed to talk to me, uh, make myself available. And, you know, I, I thought I was going to, um, I thought I was going to be an insurance salesman, uh, an insurance agent in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. That's, that was my like big dream in high school. Like that, that's what I felt like I could accomplish, but you know, waking up every morning and let God lead, lead me has taken me to, you know, five continents. And, you know, like I already mentioned 6,000 shows and all over the U S and uh, some of the biggest venues and some of the, you know, funnest venues you can, you can play at award shows, 
um, you know, being portrayed in a movie, like it's, it's crazy where God has taken me, um, by, by me letting him lead me. I'm curious what it was like when I can only imagine kind of struck and it, it, it was a hit and everybody was starting to hear it. Uh, what was the, what was the reaction you had? How did that make you feel to see this band mercy me finally kind of arrive in the music industry? Well, I had, I had been helping, um, Bart, uh, I've been taking Bart's phone call for about three years before I can only imagine came out and he called me about once a month for the first year, about once a week, the second year, and about every day, the third year. And, uh, you could tell that there was, um, a passion and a drive that, that the band had that Bart had. And, uh, you know, they were the nicest guys in the world. And I don't know if you've ever been to a mercy me show or if your listeners have, but he's just, you know, he's funny. He's, you know, he knows how to, he knows how to communicate to a crowd and, um, you know, he's just a good lead singer and, and a good guy. And, you know, whenever, whenever it first took off, like, first of all, when I heard the song, like, you know, there, you, you don't know when a song is going to be a hit, but you know, when it moves you. And, um, <laughs> one of my phrases is if they cry, they buy. And I cried when I first heard that <laughs> song. And, uh, so I, I felt like it was a special song and I didn't, I mean, no one predicted that it was going to do what it did, you know, by, climbing the Christian charts and then, you know, a couple of years later crossing over to the mainstream charts and, and, uh, having all that success. But it was just, you know, I was just proud. I was just proud to be a part of it. Uh, I was honored and humbled to be a part of, of what happened, you know, back in the early two thousands. And then to see, you know, it happened again with the movie, like, you know, no one really, really predicted that either. Matter of fact, when, when the movie was about to come out or when they were about to start shooting it, and they had, you know, decided they were going to put uh, a, a business person in the movie. They they went with me because of Trace Atkins, because he and I are kind of cut <laughs> from the same cloth. I was trying to get him to change it to Jeff Mosley's name because, you know, at the time, Christian films were a little, eh, you know, a little, little cheesy. And and uh, so I was I was trying to get him to change it. But, you know, it uh, it was fun to watch the success of success of that, be a part of that. And uh, I mean. The Irwin brothers crushed it, you know, with, with the movie and, and the way, you know, they tell a story, which, you know, they've done several times before that. And, and since then, um, so I'm, I'm proud of them as well, but yeah, just to, just to be a part, like the, to have the double success, you know, with the with the music and then the movie, I think we handled the success, um, a little bit better the second time with the movie than we did. You know, the first time we, we kind of wore ourselves out the first time saying yes to everything we could. And, uh, you know, whenever we um, whenever we had the movie success, we were able to say no to a few things and try to handle it, um, you know, a little bit more professionally, uh, you know, the second time. So, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely fun to be a part of. All right, Trey, I appreciate that conversation, that unique look behind the scenes. We often just see the product and consume the product and hear about the main kind of figures that are producing that, like the singers, actors, et cetera. It's good to, it's good to hear how others are impacted through the Christian uh, entertainment industry. So appreciate that conversation there. And that leaves us with time for one last thing. And we are going to look at Psalm 34, 17, which reads, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 
Yeah, I think that's such an important passage to remember because it's it's easy to, to live in the midst of whatever you're going through and maybe even living in sin and then say, why isn't the Lord answering my prayers? Why isn't the Lord giving me what I want? Or why isn't why aren't things falling into place? The reality is we need to align ourselves with the Lord's desires, right? And be in obedience to what we know to be in obedience to, which is scripture. And then the Lord is, is better able to hear us and work through us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Good spot to leave it here on this Wednesday edition of the Quick Start Podcast. As always, we're so glad you're here hanging with us each and every weekday, starting at 7 a.m. or whenever you listen to it. I mean, we have to be up. You guys can just, you can sleep in and listen to it at 8. But uh, but I'll just say, look, the 7 o'clock listeners, you guys, you guys are primo. But We appreciate everybody, though. Lord willing, in that creek, they'll rise. We'll be back here tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.